Tonight's scripture reading is from John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they, may also be in, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me, may, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that, with, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everybody. My name is Ryan. I serve as one of the elders and a pastoral intern here at Grace Downtown. As always, it's a privilege to be up in front of you all. And uh, share in thinking about this really rich text with y'all. So will y'all please pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, these are beautiful words. They're full of rich truth. Would you apply them to our hearts during this time? And we pray confident in the work of your spirit. Amen. I was listening to a, uh, a talk by Simon Sinek this week. It's a, it's a well-known TED talk that he gave about 10 or 15 years ago where he's examining what makes the most successful people and organizations stick out above their competitors. He focuses a lot on Apple, especially Apple in the mid-2000s. What makes them so much more of a dominant cultural force as we've gone through time than the other computer companies that they came up with, right? Why are they so much more influential than Dell and Compaq and some of those others? His point is actually that a lot of these computer companies had similar technology at the time. Apple wasn't selling something that was significantly more advanced than what others had to offer. But what set Apple apart was their ability to sell the why and to communicate the why to their customers. This is why we do what we do. This is why our brand matters to you. This is why we think you should participate in what we are doing. More so than the product they were selling, it was the why that set them apart. And it's not just about getting their consumers to buy into this either. You need your employees to buy into this kind of a message to be a successful company. That's why companies spend so much time thinking about their mission statements, right? They cast a vision for where they're going as a company. They have values that define how they want to do the work that they're going to do. But behind it all, is a mission statement, this idea, this why for everything that they do. And politicians often operate this way too, don't they? I've always found it a little strange that the most uh, brilliant policy wonks often don't make very good political candidates because there's more than just knowing policy. You have to be able to sell people on a vision, on a mission for them to participate in. This way of running organizations and political campaigns work so well because of how important it is for us as human beings to have a purpose, to have a mission to be a part of, to have a why to buy into, a why for why we do what we do. So we're coming to the end of our series tonight on experiencing prayer. And I want to spend some time together thinking about our why. Why do we pray? Why do you pray? The ultimate purpose, the mission for God's people, according to our text tonight in verse 3, is to know the living God and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. That is our ultimate mission. And then we have this descriptive, uh, beautiful, lengthy prayer of Jesus for him to show us and to teach us how to pray as people with that kind of a purpose. To pray as people who are called to know the living God. And as we think about Pentecost Sunday today, the Spirit is just all over the background of this text, even if he's not always there explicitly. 
We celebrate God's sending of his Holy Spirit onto the church, and everything that Christ prays in this passage is really pointing ahead to that reality. You know, as big and as grand as some of these things that he's praying for seem, it's possible because he sent the Spirit to be our advocate and our helper to interpret our prayers to the Father when we're not even sure what to pray for. So tonight, we're going to consider together what it means to know God in prayer. I'm going to look at this through uh, three lenses together. Knowing our calling, knowing Christ, and knowing love. So first, let's look at this idea of knowing our calling. Jesus starts his prayer in kind of an interesting way, doesn't he? And he actually spends a lot of time throughout this prayer praying about himself, describing himself, what he came to do, actually what he will even continue to do, he promises. But especially at the beginning, he uses his uh, relational title with the Father. He talks about himself as the Son. He is the Son praying to his Father. He is a Son asking his Father. And here in these opening verses, In the context of this relationship, this father-son relationship, he describes his purpose for us. He says things like, Father, you have given me all authority to give eternal life. You have sent me. I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I have glorified you while I've been on earth. Why does he pray this way? Why does he spend so much time talking about his purpose and his calling. It's because he understands how important it is, not just for himself, but for his people. And his calling shapes how he prays. He's on a mission while he's on earth, and he understands how vital his purpose is for his people. Now, if you're here tonight uh, exploring Christianity, maybe you're here looking for a greater purpose in your life, I think a lot of times um, our culture's solution is to look within you, right? To dig into the depths of who you are, to find something to unleash, and from there you will discover your purpose. But maybe if we're created beings, actually our creator is the one who gives us purpose. And that's what Jesus does here. As one who has authority from God, he reveals God's purpose for his people. So he not only understands his own calling, but he understands perfectly his calling for us, God's call for us on our lives. He prays for our calling. He prays for our sanctification, that we would be a people who would ever be be being made more godly by his spirit, for protection from the evil one, for our relationship with the world, which can often be kind of a complicated thing, that we would see God's glory. But the one kind of overarching theme that he has for his church as he prays is unity, that his church would be united. He says that they may be one, even perfectly one, which is an intimidating thought. Our calling is a communal calling, then, in Jesus' mind. Now, we, uh, we did spend 
a good amount of time last week on this, but I do think it's worth looking again at this theme of community in the context of Jesus' prayer for us tonight. Everything he's praying for us in this section is in the plural, right? He's praying for them, for us as a people, for living in unity. May they be one, he says. You know, living on your own and uh, keeping things close to the chest might lead to less conflict. But our purpose needs the hard work of community. Taking yourself out of the world on your own somewhere is oftentimes a very easy solution to the challenge of figuring out how do we live in the world as followers of Christ. But our calling is to be in community. And if this is our calling, this message for the church to be one, to be united, then our prayer ought to be communal too, right? You know, if you think about going to see a movie or watching sports on TV, aren't those things pretty much always better when we're together than when we're alone? You know, other people often notice things that we don't notice. They react differently to the different things that are going on in front of us. Their experience is a little bit different than ours, even though you're doing the same thing together. Mike touched on this earlier, talking about uh, experiencing God in a diverse community, the different um, perspectives that are on offer there. And that all makes it more richer, more enjoyable, more memorable when we experience these things together, doesn't it? One thing I love is um, hearing people explain why they love a particular song or a particular artist or a particular movie, maybe a TV show. Even if it's something that I've experienced myself, maybe a song I've heard, but that I didn't really appreciate that much. You know? Hearing somebody else explain why they love it, why it's so important to them, why it's so valuable to them, often makes it have a richer meaning for me too as I think about it. Maybe it's something about their particular circumstance, something that they notice, something about the artist's context that I just didn't know, that brings out a richer meaning to this song. You know, there's a place for praying as an individual. Jesus does it all the time. He frequently goes and spends personal time in communion with his Father. But if our purpose, our mission, is communal, there has to be a communal aspect to our prayer life. We're participating together in this calling that we have, that Jesus is praying for, helping each other, encouraging one another, teaching one another, especially important for parents of kids, teaching them how to pray when we pray together, and ultimately knowing God together in community. So there's this communal calling for us to know God together in prayer, but thinking about this calling a little bit more and Jesus' words for us, I want to jump to something else that's really incredible that Jesus prays for us. Look at this in verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And again, verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. You know, think back to that famous verse, John 3, 16, many chapters before this, 
in the book of John, where Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. How's the world gonna know that message? Well, in Jesus's mind, it's the church, it's us. As a community of believers, our union with Christ, our unity with Christ is so strong that we actually participate in his mission in the world. His mission, which he committed to carrying out even after his death, is to be fulfilled by the church. So as we seek to know God in prayer, we have to know ourselves too. We have to know what he has called us to be as individuals, as a church, as a community. Thinking about our uh, calling and how that shapes and informs our prayer life, we begin to realize that knowing our calling requires knowing Christ. We are part of his mission. Our calling is Jesus' calling. So this brings us to our second point, knowing Christ. Look with me at how much Jesus jumps back and forth in this text between uh, himself and the church. Father, you gave them to me. Mine are yours. Yours are mine. I am glorified in them. May they be one as we are one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. May they be one as you, Father, are in me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. So to know our calling, we have to know Christ. Now, when most of us think about knowledge, I think we often tend to think about informational knowledge, maybe taking a test to show that we know the material that we need to know. Maybe you participate in trainings at work, like I do sometimes, where you have these knowledge checks at the end to prove that you know the material, that you're qualified to do the work that you've been trained for. Do you know the information you need to know? But when Jesus prays, he prays with relational knowledge, not just informational knowledge. The closeness of his connection with the Father comes out in how he prays. Look at him meditating on the glory of God. Look at his emotional connection as he reflects on the love of his Father, the intimacy which he has with the Father. He implores his Father to do things. He prays with his emotions, with his mind, with his will. They're all part of his life, all part of his prayer. And he prays with his whole person when he prays for his people. And his prayer for us is that we would also know God with our whole person as he does. May they know you, Father, in a relationship just as I do. May they know you in truth. May they rightly understand you. May they feel joy that I have with you. May they know the love that I have with you, Father. Sanctify them, create a new person in them. May they be unified with one another. May you be with them in whatever circumstances they find themselves in, in this world. Christ desires that we have such a whole person, relational knowledge with God that he does. 
And he's the one who makes it all possible for us. We could not have such a knowledge and relationship with God on our own. Our sin is too big of a problem. We make it impossible. But when Christ came and lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we deserve to die, and then conquered that death by rising from the dead, he made it so that all who have faith in him can have real communion with God, that we might be able to truly know God. But we have to know Christ and what he taught us and what he did for us. We have to follow where he leads in order to know him as he desires to be known. J.I. Packer, who is one of the great theologians of knowing God, he says it like this. Jesus' voice is heard when his claim is acknowledged, his promise trusted, and his call answered. From then on, Jesus is known as a shepherd, and those who trust in him, he knows as his own sheep. To know Jesus is to be saved by Jesus, here and hereafter, from sin and guilt and death. And this is the beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit that we are celebrating today on Pentecost. We might think, how can you come to know someone? How could we possibly come to know Christ if we can't be physically with him? But even Christ's disciples, those who were physically with Jesus, who listened to everything he taught, who saw what he did, even they needed the Spirit to reveal Christ to them. You know, thinking about that first Pentecost that we read about in Acts 2, you know, it was only after Christ's work was finished that the Spirit applied to the disciples an understanding of who he was and what he did. You know, the Spirit equipped them not only to, to preach the gospel, but to understand the gospel. You know, after Jesus rose from the dead, his disciples are all kind of sitting in a room together. And, sorry, after he rose from the dead and ascended, his disciples are sitting in a room together, and they don't really know what to do, right? They're not really doing anything. But then the Holy Spirit comes on them. And that's when they start preaching the gospel. That's when they begin the great mission of the early church. The Spirit is what makes knowing Christ possible for those who physically saw him and for those like us who believe based on the testimony of others. I was reminded as we were praying before church, someone reminded me that Jesus said, it's actually better for you that I go because I'm sending the Spirit. It's better for us to have the Spirit. And because the Spirit is present within us, because that Pentecost reality that was uh, a real experience for his disciples is now offered to us, the Spirit is able to work on our whole person as well. Prayer can often feel like a mental exercise. I don't know if that's how you experience it. It often is for me. But when the Spirit is in you, you will go to work on your emotions on our desires, on our will, even when it feels like maybe we're just struggling to focus and uh, try to think of the right words to say, think of the right prayers to say. But the Spirit's not limited to our minds, as weak and distracted as they might be. He wants all of you. 
You know, there's uh, no better way for us to come to know Christ than to know how he prayed for you, how he prayed for us. There's a lot of content in this prayer that we read. There's a lot of uh, repetition, a lot of different themes and different points of emphasis that we could tease out over this rich and beautiful prayer. But I want to take a step back a second and look at a wide-angle lens over this whole prayer with you all. Look at Jesus' heart for you in his prayer for a second, his heart for his church. You know, his context when he says these words is that he's, uh, he's actually coming to the end of his life. He spent the last couple chapters with the disciples teaching them and being with them for the last time, and he knows that his end is approaching. The son of destruction, as he names him here in this prayer, who's one of his closest friends and followers, is about to betray him, and he knows it. In a matter of hours, he's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane in deep anguish, praying to God that God would take this cup from him. He's about to have the sins of the world laid on his sinless shoulders as he's tortured and killed on a cross, while the people he came to save, the people who were physically with him, watch him. Some of them even mock him. And this is the time that he takes to pray for you, church. This is the time, with all of that approaching him, he takes this time to pray for us. Try to imagine yourself in his shoes, knowing what is coming in the next few hours. And he takes the time to pray for his friends like this. Who does that? He knew that living in unity together was going to be hard. He knew that dealing with conflict, especially between believers, was going to be hard. He knew that it was going to be hard to feel joy sometimes. He knew that it was going to be hard to wrestle with how to interact with the world that we live in, who often rejects the things we hold most dear. And that's why he prayed for us. He knew how hard it was going to be. That's why he sends his spirit at Pentecost, why he does not leave us to our own devices. He knows us. He knows how hard it's going to be. Our prayer is just a response to God, to what he's already done for us, to what he's already spoken over us, to what he's already promised to us. He already knows us. He already knows the trials of our circumstances. And that leads us to our last point, knowing love. I love how Jesus closes this prayer. He says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. What we have on offer tonight is to come and know the living God, to know him in such a way to actually say, that he is in us, and we are in him, to be that close to the living God. This is the invitation that we have in experiencing prayer. And the point of it all, according to Jesus, is to experience the love of God. Knowing God and knowing the love of God are inseparable. 
You know, for many of us, I think the, the prospect of truly deep, close relationships can be kind of a scary thing. You know, the more we get to know someone, the more they get to know our flaws. The more we get to know others, the more we know their flaws. What if somebody gets to know me, whom I become truly close with, but they don't love me? But friends of Christ, the beauty of the Christian gospel is that you are both fully known and loved. It's both. It's not one or the other. Those who know God are beloved of God. The more you come to know God in prayer, the greater your experience of the love of God will be. Our invitation to prayer is to come and know the living God who knows you and loves you completely and inseparably. As we uh, wrap up this series and we think about praying through some of the um, themes that we've been talking about, as we think about praying to God for justice, we are invited to come to know the God of justice. As we pray in our grief, we are invited to come and know our Savior who experienced anguish and loss on our behalf, greater than anything we've ever experienced. As we pray prayers of intercession for our friends and family, we're invited to know the Savior who ever lives to intercede for us. The love of God that is on offer is actively pursuing us through his Spirit, through the promises of Pentecost, as we seek to know him more in prayer. So let's pray. Let me close this out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Spirit. Spirit, we thank you for your ever-presence with us. We thank you that you are not bound by our circumstances, that we don't have to be in the perfect place to experience you and to know you, but that you would meet us wherever we are. And God, we pray that this would be a body that comes to greater knowledge of you through prayer, that you would draw us into prayer, that you would meet us in prayer. And God, that we would know your promises for us more deeply. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.